0: Hello and welcome to The Daily Beans for Tuesday, September 15th, 2020. Today, a chilling whistleblower report emerges from a nice detention center in Georgia. The Department of Justice Inspector General is investigating whether Barr pressured prosecutors to go easy on Roger Stone. The Health and Human Services Communications Director, former Kremlin agent Mike Caputo, calls COVID science a deep state coup and then completely loses his mind on Facebook. Pompeo brings back the Madison dinners as we learned that he wined and dined Justice Alito. Video catches the Los Angeles sheriffs in a lie about events outside the hospital where the ambushed officers were recovering. Jacob Wool and Jack Berkman stage an FBI raid at Berkman's home. And Jason Galinas is named as the developer behind QAnon's QMAP app. I'm your host, A.G. We have a very big show today. First of all, I'm so grateful to everyone listening. Thank you very much. Today, I get to chat chat with uh, Seema Lajavardian. She's running against Republican Dan Crenshaw. We all know who he is in Texas's second district. And we'll speak to her in the Flip It Blue segment. And for the interview, I will be discussing teaching in the time of COVID with host of the PBS Extra News Hour series, Teaching in the Age of Coronavirus. Her name is Sari Beth Rosenberg. And I will have some good news to wrap it all up. But first, we need to get to today's headlines. So let's hit the Hot notes. Awesome. Hot notes. Baby. Okay, everyone, the lead today comes from law and crime and a whistleblower complaint made by a nurse at a private prison ICE detention center in Georgia, who is expressing concern at the inordinate amount of hysterectomies performed on immigrant women. There's a content warning here for medical experimentation and alleged eugenics. Um, Several legal advocacy groups on Monday filed a whistleblower complaint on behalf of a nurse at an Immigration and Customs Enforcement Detention Center documenting jarring medical neglect within the facility, including refusal to test detainees for coronavirus and an exorbitant rate of hysterectomies being performed on immigrant women. The nurse, Dawn Wooten, was employed at the Irwin County Detention Center in Georgia, which is operated by LaSalle Corrections, a private prison company. This complaint, according to law and crime, was filed with the Office of the Inspector General for DHS by advocacy groups of Project South, Georgia Detention Watch, Georgia Latino Alliance for Human Rights, and South Georgia Immigrant Support Network. Multiple women came forward to tell Project South about what they perceived to be an inordinate rate at which women at ICDC were subject to hysterectomies. This is a surgical operation, which in in part or takes all or part of the uterus. Additionally, many of the immigrant women who underwent the procedure were reportedly confused when asked to explain why they had the surgery. Um, And one detainee likened their treatment to prisoners in concentration camps. Quote, recently, a detained immigrant told Project South that she talked to five different women detained at ICDC between October and December who had a hysterectomy done. Uh, When she talked to them about the surgery, the women reacted confused when explaining why they had had the surgery. According to Wooten, the nurse, ICDC consistently uses a particular gynecologist outside the facility who almost always opts to remove all or part of the uterus of his female detainee patients. Quote, everybody he sees has a hysterectomy, or just about everybody. Uh, Everybody's uterus cannot be that bad. Uh, Quote, we've questioned among ourselves, like, goodness, he's taking everybody's stuff out. That's his specialty. He's the uterus collector. I know that's ugly, she says. Is he collecting these things or something? Everybody he sees, he's taking out their uteruses or he's taken their tubes out. What in the world? Wooten also confirms uh, that many of the taint detained women have told her they didn't understand why they were being forced to have the procedure, explaining that some of the nurses obtained their consent by simply Googling Spanish. The complaint details several accounts from detainees, including a one woman who was not properly anesthetized during the procedure and heard the aforementioned doctor tell the nurse he had mistakenly removed the wrong ovary, resulting in her losing all reproductive ability. Another said she was scheduled for the procedure, but when she questioned why it was necessary, she was given three completely different uh, explanations. One, quote, she was originally told by the doctor she had an ovarian cyst and was going to have small uh, 20-minute procedure done, drilling three holes in her stomach to drain the cyst. The officer who was transporting her to the hospital, on the other hand, told her she was receiving a hysterectomy to have her womb removed. When the hospital refused to operate on her because of COVID, uh, she was, her, she, her test came back positive. She was transferred back to ICDC, and the ICDC nurse said the procedure she was going to have done was just having her vagina um, dilated and some tissue scraped off. Uh, Another nurse told her then that the procedure was to mitigate her heavy menstrual bleeding, which the woman never experienced, and when she explained that, the nurse responded by getting angry and yelling at her. No other major news outlets, by the way, are reporting on this story as yet, and this allegation has not been vetted or investigated, but even though it's developing at this point, I wanted to get it out to you. Next up, the Department of Justice Inspector General, Horowitz. You know him. We know him. He's now investigating just what the fuck went on back in February, with the Roger Stone sentencing, and Zelensky and all the other prosecutors that withdrew from the case, and Tim Shea, that whole debacle. The investigation was kicked off by Zelensky's testimony to Congress that Barr was pressuring Tim Shea to go easy on Stone because of the president. So, uh, and this is from NBC. The investigation is focusing on events in February, according to two sources who spoke on the condition of anonymity, when uh, prosecutors for Stone have said they would they were told to seek a lighter sentence for Stone and, you know, the, than the previous one that they had considered. Uh, Attorney General Barr ultimately, as we know, intervened to override the recommendation of seven to nine years. Um, I think he even told Congress, would you do that to a 66-year-old guy? Uh, he asked for a lighter sentence. All four prosecutors quit the case. One quit the department. Totally. And one of them, Aaron Zelensky, testified before Congress in June. I know we were all glued to that. I was. Uh, and he was. He said, he said he was told by the Office of the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia to recommend a lighter sentence for Stone uh, because of Stone's personal relationship with Trump. and the, But the, the pressure came from the top of the De- Department of Justice. Um, Zelensky said Tim Shea was, quote, receiving heavy pressure from the highest levels of DOJ to cut Stone a break and that the U.S. attorney's sentencing instructions to us were based on political considerations. This was an explosive story, an explosive story back in February. There were career prosecutors who had recommended the longer sentence, in accordance with the 2017 policy from the Department of Justice put forth by Jeff Sessions, which requires prosecutors to seek the maximum sentence called for under the guidelines unless there are significant mitigating circumstances, but that's what the career prosecutors put forth, per the rules. And one source familiar with the matter said the comments made by Zelensky during his testimony are what triggered the IG's office to open this investigation. It's not known how far along the IG is or what they're looking into or what the scope of the probe is or if they found any evidence of wrongdoing. But, it, you know, seems like it's been a couple months at least. And next up is a story about some disturbing comments made by Mike Caputo, former Manafort aide who worked with the Kremlin uh, on behalf of Russia. And I mean Russian intelligence, not in a diplomatic sense. Um, Of course, he made a number of appearances in the Mueller report. But he's now Trump put him in as the communications director at the CDC because he didn't like what Azar was doing. You know, truth and science. For the most part. This is from the New York Times. The top communications official of the powerful cabinet department in charge of combating the coronavirus made outlandish and false claims on Sunday that career government scientists were engaging in sedition in their handling of the pandemic and warned the left wing hit squads were preparing for an armed insurrection after the election. Michael Caputo, 58, assistant secretary of public affairs at Department of Health and Human Services, said without evidence that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, was harboring a resistance unit determined to undermine President Trump. Uh, Mike Caputo, who has faced criticism for leading efforts to warp CDC bulletins, the weekly ones, the reports, warping them to fit uh, Trump's pandemic narrative, has suggested he personally could be in danger. Quote, you understand that they're going to have to kill me. And unfortunately, I think that's where this is going. That's what he said. He's been in the White House since April, and he told he said this to a video to his followers live on his personal Facebook page. He's got five thousand Facebook friends, same as me. The video's been been viewed more than eight hundred and fifty times and shared by forty four followers. That's a uh, uh, that's pretty a uh, low level for for a guy who's been in the Mueller report <laughs> a lot. Uh, the department said in a statement, Mr. Caputo was a critical, integral part of the president's coronavirus response, leading on public messaging as Americans need public health information to defeat the pandemic. That's their statement. They really actually think that. Mr. Caputo said Monday, since joining the administration, my family and I have been continually threatened and harassed by people who have later been prosecuted. This weighs heavily on us and we deeply appreciate the friendship and support of Trump as we address the matter to keep the children safe. Uh, Caputo delivered his uh, message against scientists, the media, and Democrats after a bunch of new reports over the weekend came out that details his team's systematic interference in the CDC's official reporting on the pandemic and other disease outbreaks. Former and current CDC officials described to Politico, The New York Times, and other outlets how Caputo and top aides routinely demanded the agency revise, delay, and scuttle the CDC's core public health updates, though they're called morbidity and mortality weekly reports because they believe they undercut Mr. Trump's message. So falsified what the public knew. This sort of tracks with you know what we found out from the Woodward tapes and Trump lying to us about this, the, you know the seriousness of coronavirus. Uh, those reports that were deemed the holiest of holy by one former top health official for their international respect and importance have traditionally been so shielded from political interference that political appointees see them only just before they're published. Now he's got a say in what they contain. Caputo said Sunday um, on Facebook he was under siege by the media. He said his physical health was in question and his mental health has definitely failed. He says, quote, I don't like being alone in Washington. Shadows on the ceiling in my apartment. They're alone. Shadows are so long. He then ran through a series of conspiracy theories, culminating in a prediction that Mr. Trump will re-win election... But his Democratic opponent, Biden, will refuse to concede. Quote, and when Donald Trump refuses to stand down at the inauguration, the shooting will begin. The drills that you've seen are nothing. If you carry guns, buy ammunition, ladies and gentlemen, because it's going to be hard to get. That is the communications deputy director at the Department of Health and Human Services. Only the best people. Next up, and this might uh, not be the legit lead today, but it has a special place in my heart for honorary mention. This is from The Washington Post. Lobbyist, conspiracy theorist, right-wing crackpot, they said operative. Jack Berkman claimed that FBI agents raided his home early Monday morning. A spokeswoman for the FBI's Washington field office Monday, though, said, We cannot confirm that at this time. A law enforcement later contradicted Berkman's statement and said, There had been no law enforcement activity. At the Berkman home. Berkman said he was not arrested. Uh, his associate, Jacob Wool, said the agents took computers, papers, and cell phones from the home, but that it was unclear what the federal investigators were seeking. A brain, if they could only find a brain. Wall and Berkman suggested without evidence that the raid they claimed had happened was tied to an upcoming news conference they have planned. Hmm, wonder what this one's about. They said, we're not going to be Intimidated. Berkman and Wool have uh, publicized baseless inflammatory sexual assault allegations against Mueller. We remember that. Uh, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease Director Fauci, obviously. Uh, Weird things. uh, Press conference against Senator Warren about some escort Marine that she dated. Um, And former Democratic presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg, among others. Our friend Jennifer Taub, who we've had on this show, who's just come out with a book, was try- she, they tried to recruit her to get her to say that Mueller sexually harassed her. Several people have claimed the pair paid them to concoct all those a- accusations, including our friend Jennifer. The Daily Beast reported in the past year that Wool drafted a million-dollar business proposal to game political betting markets That's uh, by disseminating false information about Democratic presidential candidates. Wool, a former stock trader, faces a felony charge. He's He's been charged in california for selling an unregistered security early this year as president trump's longtime friend roger stone was fighting his conviction in dc the pair released juror and grand jury information from the trial uh, the attorney general of michigan is investigating a racist robocall he did aimed at discouraging voters in battleground states from casting their ballots by mail the recorded message features a woman who says she works for Wallen berkman Will and Berkman deny involvement? So if Will and Berkman didn't have a permit to film this, like some part of a entertainment show, this so-called raid that they hired actors to play FBI agents, they could be nabbed for impersonating federal officers. Conspiracy, misprision. That's bad. That's a big bad crime. So Beans on a superseding indictment for Will and Berkman. And from NBC, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is quietly relaunching his extravagant taxpayer-funded Madison dinners during the coronavirus pandemic, even as Congress scrutinizes his use of government resources to entertain CEOs and big-dollar Republican donors and television anchors. He's really trying to run for president. Pompeo's Madison dinners, which NBC News investigation revealed in May, had been paused since March when the country shut down for COVID, but they're back now with a dinner scheduled for Monday, today, and at least three others on the calendar in September and October. The dinners have raised concerns among State Department officials involved in planning them that they were using federal resources to cultivate donor uh, and support bases for Pompeo's future political ambitions. Using your taxpayer dollars. After NBC News reported on the dinners, the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee, said the House Foreign Affairs Committee, asked the State Department for documents, cost information, and ethics guidance on the department, and the State Department's uh, inspector general has also been conducting an investigation of potential misuse of government resources by Pompeo and his wife. And next up from Raw Story, and I don't know why this is not all over the news, but the L.A. County Sheriff's Department has been caught in a series of lies about their arrest of KPCC host uh, Josie Huang, who was reporting outside of St. Francis Medical Center in Lynwood, where the two police officers were shot in an ambush. Uh, well, that's where they were taken Uh, after they were shot in the ambush two la county deputies were shot uh, and they're in critical condition after their patrol car was fired on by an individual captured on video while sitting outside a metro station in compton an individual can be seen in the video approaching the car and firing shots one deputy got out of the vehicle to pursue and then the video ends This heartbreaking story took a turn, however, when the officers were recovering in a nearby hospital. L.A. County Sheriff's Department tweeted there was a huge crowd of protesters blocking the hospital entrance and chanting, we hope they die. And that despite multiple cell phone videos capturing the protest, none show the so-called chant. In fact, videos showed just a couple of people, not a huge crowd. Nothing was being blocked. One person said the phrase, we hope they die. One time. Hardly a chant. No huge crowd. No ambulances were blocked. No chance. That's a lie from the sheriff's department. Police then claimed when they were arresting one protester, a woman rushed up to the scene with a cell phone camera. She was never identified herself, they claimed, but later found out she was a press member. That also turned out to be a lie. After the reporter was released from jail, she uploaded her videos in which she repeatedly identifies herself as a member of the press. Another video captured the moment where Huang's press credentials can be seen hanging around her neck, showing she was in the media. You can get all this information right now and the videos on the reporter's Twitter feed at Josie underscore Huang. That's J-O-S-I-E underscore H-U-A-N-G. And from Bloomberg, a popular website for posts about conspiracy group QAnon abruptly shut down after the fact-finding group identified the developer as a New Jersey man. QMAP.PUB is among the largest websites promoting QAnon conspiracies, with over 10 million visitors in July. God, that's sad. And it served as the primary archive of the QAnon posts. The website Aggregate Posts by Q, the anonymous figure behind QAnon, and the creator of QMap.pub website is uh, known only as QAppAnon. The fact-checking site Logically.ai identified Jason Galinas of New Jersey. On September 10th as the developer and mouthpiece for the site, New Jersey state records. Connect Q app Anon to Galinas' home address. Nice job registering that right there. Jason. The QAnon uh, theory posits that Trump is battling a deep state ring of child sex traffickers. It's already motivated some domestic extremists to violent acts or to threaten violence. And that's according to the FBI. All right, everybody, we'll be right back with Democratic candidate for Texas's 2nd District. She's running to unseat Dan Crenshaw. I'll be joined by Seema Lajavardian right after this. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by the good people at BetterHelp. Everyone needs help from time to time when life gets stressful. And if you're struggling with anything that's preventing you from living your happiest life, anything, pandemics, politics, anxiety... I highly recommend BetterHelp. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's licensed professional therapy done securely online. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in less than a day. I've faced my own challenges with PTS. I know how important it is to seek help rather than try to face it alone. BetterHelp services are available for all clients worldwide with a broad range of experts in your counselor network, which may not be locally available. And the best thing about BetterHelp is you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses, and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed, and that's so important. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. So visit betterhelp.com/dailybeans that's betterhelp h e l p and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional special offer for daily beans listeners get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com/dailybeans all right everybody welcome back it's time to flip it blue, I'm blue. And joining me today for the Flip It Blue segment is the opponent of incumbent Republican Dan Crenshaw. We all know who he is. He's running uh, against uh, Seema Lajavardian in Texas's 2nd District. Everybody welcome, Seema, to the show. Thank you so much, Allison. I'm so excited to be on your show. I am really, really excited to talk to you. This is a very important seat uh, for us. And, and I was hoping if you could tell us a little bit first about the second district, about your district and some of the characteristics there and sort of what we're looking at. Absolutely. So the second district is probably one of the most gerrymandered district. It
1: lies entirely in Harris County, looks like a snake with a dragon head. Um, The district is extremely diverse, is 40 percent minority. We've had Beto actually lost the district just by 3,000 votes and we've had over 60,000 new registrants since then. It is sitting in Harris County, which is one of the fastest growing and most diverse districts in the nation, so the dynamics have completely changed. As gerrymandered as the district may be, I've gone all around the district, and everybody, everybody really wants the same thing. They're very concerned about healthcare. It's number one on their list, especially in the middle of this pandemic. You know, Texas to begin with is the least covered state in the nation. Before the pandemic, we had one out of five Texans that weren't covered. Now we have one out of three. And of course, within this crisis, we have Crenshaw, who's had an abysmal response to the crisis for months, has been putting out disinformation and just, you know, playing it down as much as possible, holding in-person events to the point that he had one last week that's under investigation. and and even the Texas Tribune wrote about it. And in addition to that, he's been voting with Trump to gut ACA in the middle of this crisis. So I think it's just so irresponsible, and we have leadership who needs to really be sure, basically sure that they care about the safety of their constituents, and he's only cared about playing politics and just not really caring about anyone. So number one is healthcare. Of course, COVID is you know, in, in conjunction with that. And we can't really have a healthy economy or even be able to open up safely without healthy people. And I think part of the, you know, side result of what has happened with the really bad response to the, the situation is that, we, you know, we haven't been able... Our businesses are hurting so much. We've had so much unemployment. Uh, there is a huge concern about education, Within the district, you know, I'm, I'm an immigrant. I came here, uh, leaving political chaos of a revolution, you know, it was accepted in this incredible country for the American dream. And I understand the value of high quality education. And in the middle of this crisis with opening up and COVID, it has been also, you know, obviously very complicated and then affecting our communities a lot. And touching on education, we, we have, you know, our public schools need funding. Uh, there is a huge, gap in, you know, there's systemic racism as far as education is concerned, so education is high up, and of course, jobs is very important. We have so many people who have lost their jobs in the middle of this, again, talk, talk tied to healthcare, because um, while losing their jobs, they've lost their insurance also, and uh, COBRA is too expensive to be able to keep, and we have ne- pushed, and I've argued, and I know they or Democrats have been pushing to really open enrollment for ACA so that, you know, there's only a 60 days uh, window to be able to do that. And um, it's just, it's just really high up on everybody's mind.
0: Yeah. and, And it just seems so tone deaf to me for your opponent, Dan Crenshaw to be on the side and to actively try to dismantle, Uh, The Affordable Care Act kicking so many off of health insurance in the middle of the pandemic, like you said, in addition to, as you said, losing their jobs and jobs are tied to health care still, which is a travesty. And and, you know, not to mention uh, you already had low um, access to health care under you know, under the the leadership there. And and that needs to definitely change and and how that totally uh, is tied into education and climate, um, uh, climate action. Um, But you, you know, this, I feel like this is something that you know a lot about and can really relate to your constituents about because you are a breast cancer survivor and a mother of two. And I think that, Especially, and you you know, you hit the nail on the head there. I f- everybody who I've spoken to, Seema, says that healthcare is the number one issue on people's minds, and and that they are, you know, that your your opponents and the Republicans are currently trying to take that away from people is just absolutely bananas to me.
1: You're so correct in saying that. As a breast cancer survivor, I was very lucky to have a really good insurance. I got early detection that saved my life. I was able to get treatment. Uh, But also at the same time, while I was going through that, met so many incredible people that, you know, had to figure out how to put, you know, food on their table as far as, you know, pay for medication. You know, one one of the really my incredible experience with it that I was so appalled is I wasn't feeling well one day and I didn't have my insurance card, went to the first pharmacy and the the one pill without my insurance card was like a thousand dollars. And I was just so aghast by that. And, I, and sitting all those hours in the waiting room with other friends, you know, I became friends with so many people. And I remember really well one specific person, her name was Edna. She had much more advanced uh, case than mine, but, and she didn't have insurance. So she couldn't get, you know, the the extra pretty much uh, trial medication or trial uh, treatment that she could get. And, you know, she had children that she had to think about. And I see how lucky I was. And it is extremely personal to me. I don't think you can play like this with people's lives. And uh, I'm just, you know, I'm just also appalled, you know, at our president's response that he knew about this and downplayed it and Crenshaw coming out and saying that he had good intentions. I can't even understand what good intention means when they both have had such a huge role in, you know, our cases being as high as they are and our economy being in shambles and you know us living in chaos like this. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and presidential executive orders are not going to protect anyone who has a pre-existing condition, and that's just the fact of the matter. And it's really up to us to. To act locally, uh, uh, to elect members to Congress, like you, who are going to fight uh, for their right to access to timely, quality health care as well. And I think, um, I think that just by by moving on to ta- to discuss uh, education, uh, because you're a mother of two, uh, you are pro universal pre K, which I think is incredibly important. Um, and you know that again. That is connected to, you know, we've we've just learned recently that Trump and the Republicans have known how terrible COVID is, and that kids can carry it and be vectors and get ill. And because it hasn't been around that very long, the, the coronavirus, we don't know the long term effects on on our children potentially, and and I think that forcing schools open and uh, you know, things like that are just, it's a very dangerous uh, precedent without looking at it on a, on a local basis. And I, and I think that that's one of the very important reasons that people need to support your candidacy.
1: As a a mother of two and talking to parents, that is the number one concern on their mind is the school reopening. And I've been, I have very good, I have a very good friend who's a teacher and she's been teaching for 30 years and she decided not to go back because she's worried about what's going to happen. So it's, You know, it affects so many people on so many levels because we don't have the proper one funding to the public schools with that in clear direction coming from leadership saying, you know, money coming in, how to do it. And it's just complete chaos right now. And more even in the communities of color affected so much more for the virus, by the virus. Uh, It's just a really big problem, and, you know, you can't finger point. Leading is not easy. You just have to make decisions that are based on facts and science, and we have to be able to really have faith in our leaders and, you know, to protect the families, protect the children, and really listen to science and not just cherry-pick facts that, you know, fits a narrative.
0: Yeah, exactly, and and a, a final point here I wanted to talk to you about. We had, we had discussed this a little bit offline prior to the interview, but what about uh gun reform? Keeping our kids safe in schools, uh, as far you know, with the the gun violence issue.
1: You know, we've had uh, several mass shootings in Texas, and I was telling you beforehand that I've become really good friends with uh Rhonda Hart, who was a mother at the Santa Fe shooting, and you know, the anguish that parents go through. And we have nine out of 10 Texans that believe in universal background checks. We have four out of five NRA gun holders that believe in universal background checks. And I can't imagine the anguish of thinking that, you know, you're going to go out and you don't know what's going to happen to your children. And we have to make sure that there is real gun sense out there. You know, uh, Crenshaw was on a podcast saying, wife's fingers are too dainty and it's okay to have a machine gun. You know, we cannot have weapons of mass destruction and weapons of war uh, in a situation, you know, at all. We need to ban that. And we have to make sure we close the boyfriend loophole. We make sure that, you know, we have a background check in all these uh, gun shows. It's, It's a big issue and if, you know, we have to make sure we protect our parents and our children.
0: I can't believe he said that. He knows better than that. <laughs> He's a veteran. He
1: knows better in many, many situations, but he doesn't say it.
0: D- dainty finger? Get a 22. Anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to call it. Exactly. But um, I, 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 I really... Also, I have to say that I'm I'm very excited to see that you support student debt relief programs such as the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program because I worked uh, in public service for a very long time and I got my uh, doctorate in health administration and was uh, month after month trying to apply and apply and apply. Um, for the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program, to no avail. I kept getting denied, and it, it wasn't. There was no reason for it. I worked for the Department of Veterans Affairs, federal government, public service, and and it's just the program is so with you know with the current administration, and the way the Republicans see it, it's just they're the party of no. And I I I'm I'm so glad that you you support um, this student debt relief plan.
1: It, it's ridiculous. Everybody should be able to you know. Have high quality education and then be able to go back to work and not the being being in such huge debts because of that, you know. And especially when you have people who give service to this country, you know, you have to be able to give provide that for everybody and have it equal across the board. You know, I was afforded those opportunities; everybody should be afforded those opportunities. And the fact that politicians just you know, give platitudes and don't do anything about something like this. It's just appalling to me.
0: It is. And and I agree with you so much because as a veteran myself, I got uh, education and health care. And because of that, I am able to be a, a, a successful contributing member to society and help others. And that, that Darren Crenshaw doesn't get it is just beyond me.
1: I'm not sure if he doesn't get it. I just think he doesn't care.
0: Yeah that that I, I think that it, that has to be the that has to be the answer right because he knows
1: <laughs> Yeah I mean you know the future the future of this country is about having great education from kindergarten high up to college and allow those opportunities for everybody and we have to be equal and fair across the board and protect our people and you know as he's what, what what has really shocked me on him is that, you know, being a veteran, you heard obviously what the president said, which it's just been absolutely appalling and having Crenshaw not even say a word about what he said. And, you know, at the same time, you know, criticizing and making fun of the incredible Senator Tammy Duckworth saying she doesn't stand for democracy and again, not saying a word about the bounty issue, you know the Russians paying bounty, and I'm just, I'm just really appalled that there is no response to that, and that we can't really value and respect the incredible service that you, our veterans, give to this country, and, and you know, I'm just really surprised that there is absolutely no response to that.
0: Yeah, it's it's very spineless. It shows no spine. We need leaders in with with chutzpah, right? We need to send somebody to Congress that that is a breast cancer survivor, that is a mother of two, that has fought the good fight and will continue to do it. Uh, and so I think, you know, that's why everyone needs to, this is a very, very important race in Texas. Everybody needs to, you know, uh, do what they can to help and contribute and volunteer and write postcards. Can you tell uh, our listeners where they can uh, find more information about your campaign and where they can help?
1: Absolutely, I love what you say about chutzpah. I think that's what we all need. This is the existential time of our lives. It's the most important elections of our lives. So, uh, I want everybody to know we will love volunteers and help. We're going to win this. This is so important. The website is s i m a f o r t x dot com. Please volunteer with us to do phone banking, texting, uh, making calls, amplifying the message. I'm here to serve the people of this district. I came here to this country to serve because I was accepted and taken care of. And I want to make sure I do that for everybody else and stand up for what's not right.
0: A hundred percent. And this district is winnable. And it's it's there's so many ways to vote. We can get it done. Uh, We can get it done.
1: Absolutely. And early voting starts October 3rd. So please vote early. October 13th.
0: Yes. Please vote early. October 13th. Yes. Wonderful. All right, thank you so much, everybody. This is the opponent to Dan Crunshaw in Texas's second district, SEMA Logivardian. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me on, Allison. Hey everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunbasket. With so many of us stuck at home trying to eat Healthy and trying to be safe, I have found the perfect service to recommend. It's called Sunbasket. So, if you want to eat tasty and nutritious meals while avoiding crowded grocery stores, Sunbasket delivers amazingly delicious, healthy meals straight to your door. Sunbasket has incredible recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences, including paleo, which is me, gluten free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, and more. And they make it really easy and convenient. Everything is pre portioned and ready to prep and cook. So, you can enjoy a dinner full of organic produce and clean ingredients in just uh, like under 15 minutes. And that's no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen which is great because I'm terrible, but this is so easy and it's so delicious and everything turns out perfect. So each week they send a wide range of recipes for me to choose from. So you can try dishes like turkey and spinach sliders with sweet potato buns, shrimp Diablo tacos with roasted peppers and queso fresco, and they have mushroom cassoulet with arugula salad and lemon vinaigrette. That lemon vinaigrette is so good. Uh, anyway, uh, you you really need to check it out. And Sun Basket facilities, by the way, have the highest level of food and employee safety. They reinforce strict adherence to operating procedures and they've increased sanitization Frequency in their distribution centers to protect your family and you and their employees. And right now, Sunbasket is offering thirty-five dollars off your order when you go to sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and don't forget promo code daily beans at checkout for thirty-five dollars off your order. Again, sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code daily beans. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Today for the interview, uh, she currently hosts the PBS NewsHour Extra Teacher Summer Zoom Series and recently completed the 13-part series Teaching in the Age of Coronavirus for PBS NewsHour Extra. Please welcome Sari Beth Rosenberg. Sari, thanks for joining me today.
2: Thanks for having me. listen to you every week. I've been listening to you since the election election of 2016. So... Uh,
0: The old kitchen days, yeah.
2: (laughs) The old days, the other bad old days.
0: Uh, Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, And it's been uh, quite a ride. And I wanted to kick this off because you and I were planning um, to speak today, just, you know, in general about teaching in the time of COVID. But now that uh, since we first spoke, uh, the Woodward tapes dropped. And I was wondering... What ran through your head when you heard the Woodward tapes? You heard Trump say that this is dangerous. You heard Trump say that children were uh, susceptible to this. Pence knew and the task force knew. They all knew how serious and dangerous coronavirus is since back in February, February 7th. And and I was wondering, sort of now looking back at when he ordered, or should I say blackmailed states to fully reopen schools for in-person learning, uh, I want to know how that you know, what your top line thoughts are looking at that statement now through the lens of knowing that they all knew how deadly and dangerous this was.
2: Uh, absolute rage. And as and as you know, we we were talking before, there aren't enough synonyms for the word rage. So I'm just going to say rage. And just from looking at from the perspective as, as an educator, it was kind of like that sixth sense moment where you look back at every action you took from February 7th onward. And the fact that I was sitting in a classroom with students, uh, they were coming home to their family members. And I work in a New York City public school where a lot of my students live in multi-generational homes. And knowing that from February 7th onward until they finally put the kibosh on in-person learning on March 15th, the fact that the, pres- the White House, they, they, the President of the United States, as we call him, knew that this was airborne. But he had a spinning in circles, Trying first of all, not knowing at first. And then once they released the information that there was this global pandemic that was probably going to come here. But, you know, remember he said it was only affecting a couple people and that it would go away magically. The fact that he knew it was airborne really, really enraged me because. I want to put my safety first, of course, but then secondary in the classroom, my children, like it's, it's a gr- not just my own, my safety and my student safety first. And the fact that I didn't have any of that information, I just started having these flashbacks to the fact that I do these cool, fun activities in class. We do like a speed dating activity where students exchange information. I was having them sidle up next to each other, breathing on one another, doing all this stuff. I have a feminist club. We were sharing food and breathing on each other. And there was the, the person in charge of this country who's supposed to looking at look after our safety and health first, or public safety and health, didn't tell us. And it I mean I could go on and on forever. It was just it's just enraging. And I uh, yeah. Enraging. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And 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 I'm s i am I feel you so hard. And I've talked about this on the show, about we're out of synonyms. And and this is by designed by this um, administration because, you know, when we, when we first came out and he, he came down the golden escalator and called Mexicans rapists and said all these disparaging racist things, we were like, that is unconscionable. Then we get to the Muslim ban and then we get to the, you know, voter suppression and then we get to the kids in cages and we've already used the term unconscionable. Right. And and so as these things get worse and worse, we've already used the superlatives and there are no synonyms left in the English language for us to describe how fucking batshit crazy all of this is and how terrible and and rage inciting and and how much ire we have from it. You're right. We're just out of words. Out of
2: words. And I feel like, you know, I'm a history teacher. And I joke around, not, you know, it's gallows humor that we're going to need like multi. I mean, the age of the textbook is probably long over, but you know, if there were still, we still are going to to create textbooks. I I don't even know how you do, you cover 2020. And yeah, I think, I think perhaps the title is (laughs) no, no more, uh, you know, what you were saying about like no more, no more other, no more superlatives for rage. Like it's just, unbelievable
0: yeah like I've got two volumes of the history of Western civilization but 2020 can take its own like 10 volume set
2: 10 volumes and you know when I when Trump was first elected I had to find my people I mean you know most of most of anyone I associate with and still do realize what a grave threat Trump was but I was on the extreme side of it people felt I think in the beginning and I remember coming into class and it was a point of pride of mine. And I write about this in my PBS News Hour Extra series, a point of pride for me and all the other social studies teachers. You know, you're not supposed to talk about your politics. And I agree with that normally, but I couldn't look out at my students, primarily brown and black students, many of whom are Mexican DACA, this, the same human beings that this that this now soon to be elected president was speaking so poorly of and so disgustingly about, I couldn't look at them and not express my rage and say I wasn't going to fight for them, and it, it went against everything I stood for as a teacher, because I want it to be an open forum. That's, that's the America I love that the conservative kid, the libertarian, I mean, they're teenagers, they're still figuring out, but some of them are already kind of figuring out their political stances on things. I want them to feel like they can say whatever the fuck they want in class. And (laughs) right, I mean, they can't say fuck, though, I can only say that on this show, which I fucking love. But (laughs) sorry, kids, if you're listening. But you know, after Trump was elected, I couldn't do that because I heard from other teachers who were trying to take that stance, who, who also agreed that Trump was a great, the most dangerous genocidal threat to America. We were all correct. I, they at first were trying to kind of be quiet about it and just kind of like hint that they weren't happy with the outcome. And a couple months later, many of the students said to them, oh, oh, miss, I thought that you, they call us miss. They said, oh, miss, I thought you were a Trump supporter because you didn't say you didn't like him because just the way that education system is set up a lot of times a lot of times it's white educators with brown and black kids in the class and they see they they knew that a lot of white people voted for trump so if they if you weren't extreme about your stance or at least clear about it they assumed you voted for him and 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 i i hate that's one of the things i hate there's so many things i hate about trump being president but just as an educator the fact that I could no longer comport myself in the way that I think is a respectable way to comport oneself, right? And that's what happens when you have this transnational, this 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 member of a transnational crime syndicate lying, genocidal. Add all the words, maniac and in, in power,
0: right? Yeah, right. And and I think you know I'm so with you on that. I feel you. I feel you on this because I think that. Um, what you're talking about is the same issue that journalists face. You know, we're supposed to be uh, hands-off, independent, not leaning one way. But, you know, when you've got this autocratic, you know, tyrannical, racist, misogynist, you know, uh, leader who how the hell he got in, what is the electoral college good for if it didn't stop him from getting in, which is why we need to get rid of that shit. But, like, You know, we're you're you're sitting here watching, for example, police mangle black bodies and you're just supposed to not say anything. Right. Like I on Twitter, a teacher responded to one of my posts
2: that I forget the can't keep track of all the bullshit anymore, but some school reprimanded a teacher for hanging up the black or say, wearing a black lives matter t-shirt or something. I mean, th- that's where we're at in this country. The fact that a teacher can't tell her class that she thinks black lives matter because that's quote unquote political. And, and it, it make, I mean, it, it, it goes back to, and you know, Sarah Kenzie, I remember reading her post right after the election when she basically said gave us some instructions and it seemed hyperbolic. I mean, it didn't, but I wanted it to be hyperbolic, but she was right. And one of the things she suggested we all do it or all did was write down everything that we value and everything we believe, because we're going to have to remember it because we're going to start being kind of gaslit as her, as her her podcast talks about right. And her, and her recent book, but yeah, I felt like, I, there are times when I'm like, wait, am I, am I, am I getting crazy here? And then I have to remember what things were like before he was in office and, and remind myself this isn't normal. And then like, I hope to go back to a day in summary where I, like my students don't know who I voted for. We can have an open forum. We, we understand what a fact is. We underst we don't use the word fake news at all, but here we are. Right.
0: Right. Um, <laughs> It's 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 mind It's mind boggling and and mind bending. But I I also wanted to ask you about now the the current uh, challenges that we're facing in the classroom. You know, I've been listening to some pieces on NPR and The Daily about the, the the burden that's been piled on teachers, uh, you know, over decades, but especially over the you know since this election, including having to pay for your own supplies, and now you know people are like you know clear the lists and and pe- helping teachers like give the supplies that should be supplied by the schools, or and then and then we have to we have to arm teachers and give them I don't know SWAT team fucking training because of school shootings, and now they're yeah. in charge of uh, ensuring. Uh, epidemiological steps are being taken that that are like doctoral level things and then they're also on top of that responsible for teaching simultaneously oftentimes in person and on camera classes and i and so now they have to be tv producers and internet wizards and i i'm just like what is it that everyone feels that and they were already like cps and uh, you know everything else what is it that people expect to pile all of these responsibilities onto a teacher and pay them shit.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, you're talking to a teacher, writer, so you're preaching to the choir. Yeah. Mention the fact that I'm a social worker. I mean, you know, there are certain things that I, you know, you signed up for certain parts of the job. You, I mean, I signed up knowing that part of teaching is not just standing up there and having discussions about American history and having just focusing solely on that. You want to get to know the kids at a deeper level. So on some, there is going to be a lot, I think, you know, a a, a big, a big part of teaching is the social and emotional learning part of it. Right. But then the fact that right now I'm starting to, I have to understand they had our chapter leader, our, our union chapter leader, that person is supposed to check the ventilation. Like why is that our job? Right. And right. And so right now, when you mentioned TV producer, yeah, suddenly teachers are expected to know how to film. First of all, some teachers don't feel comfortable videotaping themselves. That's just not not what right. they stand up for. Um, we just, and so the way my school's doing it is, it's, it's hybrid, it's the blended learning model. But the way it's gonna work at my school is that I'm going to be in a classroom teaching with a mask and face shield, right? Teaching students while another six students sit in the class doing their own remote learning separate from what I'm teaching. What is that? Right? Like, I think it goes back to, in summary, it kind of goes back to. What is a school? And I, I started, I, I'm going to write about this. I don't have time right now because I'm trying to become a TV producer and also like write an epidemiologist and, and someone who can understand how the ventilation system works and what a MERV 13 is. If that's a thing, I don't know. Um, I never really wanted to know about like the inner infrastructure of my school beyond like, oh, the AC is a little too high. Can we turn it down, right? But But like right now, I mean- I'm starting, it's making me, I think we need to have a serious discussion as a society once we get Trump out of office about what is a school, right? Because what we've learned is that one of the big arguments for keeping schools open, like classroom, I like to say classrooms open because when we're, I'm advocating for remote for safety reasons now that we know, now that we know for sure it's airborne. Now that we know that like having windows open, I don't think counts as ventilation, although that's what- that's what they're saying, but I'm not a scientist. I'm a history teacher. I'm a scientist, but I have a feeling that like when it's 20 degrees in the winter and the windows open, that's not the smartest way <laughs> to be living. But I'm for me, you know, it's kind of like there's this there's this question of like what is a school? And 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 right now, because of all the all the fa- the fact that all the services for kids are placed at schools because that's how Little we prioritize children in this country, especially those who come from the most vulnerable of communities. That when you shut down a school, what you're shutting down is a lifeline to mental health care, um, you know, even physical health, uh, food, resources, internet, right? And so the school has become the place where we dump that all in our society. And I think that. When, when You know, when this nightmare is over, if it is ever over, I really want, hope it is, I want us to kind of back up a little bit and say, wait a second, look at what look what we're putting on the schools, because the last I checked, school was, you know, on a good day, was supposed to be there to educate our kids, to give them that ability to advance the society and kind of be an equal playing field, even though we can talk about how that doesn't always happen. That's theoretically what it's supposed to be, right?
0: Yeah. Well, we're going to have several steps that we're going to need to take, and I and I... Look forward to seeing you lead some of these discussions because, you know, we really are going to have to do this uh, at, a, at at our local levels, municipal levels, state levels and the national level. So I appreciate you coming on and talking to me today. Can you tell people where they can find your 13 part series teaching in the age of coronavirus and how they can follow you on the socials?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So you can read my 13 part series at PBS NewsHour Extra's website. It's it's pretty it's pretty clear where it is It's on there. Just Google it on the site and um, you can follow me, Sari Beth Rose. And my website is Sari, S-A-R-I-B-E-T-H, com. And actually I've had some time over the summer. So I've collected all my, my 13 part series on there as well. If you're having trouble finding the website. So it's all there. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks so much for all you're doing. And, and, and I, I can't tip my hat to you enough for doing. I mean, like you said, you're you're a child care provider, CPS, a social worker, uh, epidemiologist. I mean, the the list goes on and on. and, And I can't I can't thank you enough for what you're doing.
2: Thank you for just shining a light on everything every day because we need that. And you've been educating me and then I've been bringing it back into my classroom. So I appreciate that.
0: All right, everybody, thanks again, Uh, Sari Beth Rosenberg. Check her out online and check out her 13-part series, Teaching in the Age of Coronavirus. We will be right back with the Good News Block, so stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by PayPal. These are weird times with so many new challenges to face. Things may have changed around us, but our inner drive to be there for the people we care about runs deeper than ever. It's crucial to stay involved and support our loved ones, friends, families, and organizations that support us. When we come together as a community, we empower ourselves to make meaningful change as we're finding new ways to connect and continue supporting one another. We've started social distancing when we spend time with friends and explore local cuisine, and we're doing more to support and advocate for underrepresented communities. So what we need now more than ever is an easy way to support each other from afar. For me, the solution is PayPal. With the PayPal app, sending and receiving money is fast and easy. Stay connected with people you love and quickly and securely send money to friends and family just about anywhere in the world. Start a money pool to split the bill. Go in on a gift or fundraise for a good cause. With PayPal, you can support the places and causes you care about the most. Recently, I donated to Act Blue and was able to send financial support to my mom. She really needed it during this time. And with PayPal, I can instantly donate to a local nonprofit to support a cause from across the country. With PayPal, you can even make touch-free QR code payments to your favorite local restaurants or farmer's markets. PayPal is making it easy to pay safely, quickly and easily. So download the PayPal app today. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Good News Block. We have some good news and some quarantine confessions today. And I'll go ahead and kick it off with uh, actually some. This is a confession from Melissa. No pronouns given. Melissa says, I laughed out loud when Mandy talked about getting all dolled up to go to the Tesco. As an American in the UK, I confess, I do not think I am representing us well. Ever since the lockdown, I have realized that if I wear the right sweatshirt, I don't even have to wear a bra when I pop down to my local Sainsbury's. I'm wearing a mask, though. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, the backstory on that, everybody, is when um, Joelle and Mandy for a while were living together in London, and Joelle's my best friend, and she would call me every day, and she's like, apparently you just can't wear a sundress down to the Tesco. That's like a little bodega down the street. And she she was like, well, I don't know why you have to get all dressed up to do that shit, but apparently you do. And so here we are, Melissa. So thank you for that input. Uh, Next up, uh, from another confession from Jennifer. Not sure if this is good news or a confession, but early on in the lockdown, I got so mad at Ivanka and one of her tweets that I replied to it, calling her a feckless C-word, whose ineffective husband is a step up from her rapey, misogynistic brothers and sexual assaulting father. Long story short, I refuse to remove my tweet and am banned from Twitter. Joke's on them, though, because I literally just joined that day and I'm not at all affected by my inability to read or send tweets. Fun fact, you're also limited to 280 characters when you justify your tweet for review. I guess good news, uh, though, is that my application to help out an election poll site just got approved, and I will be attending a training session in two weeks. Jennifer, this is the famous person who called Ivanka a feckless cunt on Twitter and got banned. I love it. Thank you for that. We know of you. You are infamous on Twitter, just so you know. I know you're not there and you can't see it, but... Your feckless cunt comment reverberates throughout the ages. So, well done. Uh, Next up, this is a good news story from Anna Marie, pronouns she and her. Dear Leguminati, I live in southern Oregon, which just had a massive fire this week, which wiped out a whole neighborhood. No, whole neighborhoods in multiple cities in the Rogue Valley. But here's the good news that I wanted to tell you about. Um, Mexico just sent us a group of firefighters. I'm crying as I write this. They are from the state or city of Guanajuato in central mexico which is the sister city of ashland oregon where our fire started and it is where i studied spanish years ago i feel so much gratitude toward our southern neighbor and i want everyone to know that even after all the racist rhetoric from our impeached potus they are still sending help and aid i feel like we don't deserve it but i'm so happy and thankful i've called our local northwestern seasonal workers office in order to volunteer to help in any way i can They help our migrant farm workers, many of them uh, whom are from Mexico and in Central America, and many whom have lost their homes. I know you hear this a lot, but I want to say thank you. Um, Thank you for all you do to help us survive until better days. I love you, AG, and all the Beans community. I'm so glad to be a part of it. Thank you so much, Anna Marie. And what a wonderful story. Um, Boy, Um, you're right. After everything that Trump says, since he descended on the golden friggin escalator at Trump Tower to announce his presidency everything that he has said about Mexico and Mexicans and now here they are helping us, providing firefighters to help us put out the fire that Trump is ignoring next up is a is a confession from Hopa Hopa it says here, there's a little pronunciation guide Hopa Uh, And the pronouns are he and him. All hail the leguminati. I can't tell you how much your work has benefited my sanity over the last three years. Thank you, thank you. Besides the shit show of this current (coughs) president's antics, I've had to endure a separation from my spouse of 24 years. We separated in May of 2019. We nearly did this twice before due to her struggle with PTS and depression, but I dug in both times and made an extra effort. Um, And tried to make our relationship work, even after the revelation that she had slept with my best friend and lied about it for 10 years. The two of us raised three amazing children who have become responsible adults with families of their own. I couldn't be more proud of what we have done. This third time in spring of 2019, I said, "Okay, move out. I realize she is struggling emotionally and uh, psychologically. But again, I was devastated emotionally, being told for a third time she was no longer in love with me after all we'd accomplished together. I had to start looking out for myself. My confession, in short, I don't miss her. Sure, we're still close. Our apartments are within walking distance. We talk almost every day, text or phone. We even had sex every once in a while until the pandemic took hold. We were best friends for over two decades, so a clean, amicable amicable break was to be expected. Yet, living alone with my pup, Barley, pick attached, and surrounding myself with the art, music, food, and media that give me joy, most of which were not allowed by my spouse, I don't miss her. There, I said it. I miss us, but I don't miss her us disappeared years ago she's doing well working in an essential job and has a support network so it's not like i've abandoned her or anything but every time she's asked about getting back together i've answered no not now i'm sorry that i'm not sorry i'm happy and i know this story probably makes me look like a dick but there's much more to it know that a psychological abusive relationship can have male victims my confession is basically i'm happy with my life as it is now thank you you all make me laugh and give me hope for the future. So keep it up. P.S. I was in a band called Cool Beans in the 90s. Let me know if you want to hear any of it. Mm, probably not with a name like that. Hope, uh, I'm kidding. Uh, that is an intense confession. And I have to tell you, um, having lived through some abuse myself, uh, that at one point culminated in some physical abuse and had it not, um, I would have also felt like I was abandoning that person. You know, sometimes you get the the person who who says, if you know, if you leave me, I don't know what I'll do. I'm nothing without you. They try to, you know, kind of guilt you into staying. And I don't know the ins and outs of what you're going through. But I'm glad that you're in a space where you can be you. And I'm glad that you are happy that there. Um, I think that's what's important. And you have raised two beautiful children. So thanks for that confession. Um, I really appreciate you sending it in. And the dog, it's a beagle. It's a hound dog. And I will send this picture out in the newsletter. Next up from Anonymous, pronouns they, them. When a quarantine started, my job went remote. About a month ago, no, excuse me, about a month into the quarantine, the CEO of the nonprofit mental health organization I work for said, we ought to feel lucky to have a job. Two months later, I had a panic attack while working and my supervisor put a corrective action in my file for having a panic attack. When I said I wasn't treated fairly, she repeated the CEO's comment and told me I was lucky to have a job. This motivated me to look for other work. (laughs) And I just accepted a job offer with better pay, better benefits, and they will give me the supervision I need to become a certified mental health counselor, which my present company refused to provide. Hmm. I also have two job offers at the same time and had my pick of where I wanted to work. It feels so good to move on and do something so much better for me. I'm grateful to be working and to have a job, but nobody wants to be told they're in a terrible work environment and there's nothing that can be done about it. Mm, trust me, I know he, him. But congratulations. I love that you had the pick of two and you picked your favorite and that's amazing. I'm I, I'm, I'm very happy for you and keep us posted on how, on how it's going because I, I want to know how much better it is. I, a personnel file for having a panic attack at a nonprofit mental health organization yeah that was like me being discriminated against for ptsd by the department of veterans affairs yeah interesting right next up from hr lady uh-oh i think we're all in trouble for all the butt jokes um uh, pronouns she and her hey bean babes This is a bit of mixed news. I began my new job in December of 2019 as director of HR for a startup. Unbeknownst to me, the company had lost their funding and made the decision to begin closing their doors in late January. Not the best career move, huh? I was tasked with laying off over 450 people around the world starting in March. Yes, right in line with the pandemic. All of the terminations had to be done via Zoom, which makes it difficult. It makes a difficult conversation even more difficult. I've been solely focused on terminating employees while simultaneously trying to help them find new roles, speaking to outside companies, helping with their resumes, LinkedIn profiles, etc. Additionally, I was thankfully able to convince upper management to increase the severance and healthcare package significantly. It has been an emotional, emotionally draining 7 months, and we're down to under 30 employees now, and our doors will officially close in November. My sort of good news is that today, I received a letter signed by over 100 former employees that my compassion, empathy, and support made such a huge difference in the process. They thanked me for caring and supporting each of them. I was so honored and touched that my efforts to use kindness during probably the most challenging time in their lives made a difference. I've cried multiple times during these months, and I felt overwhelmed about impacting so many people in a positive way during the COVID pandemic. I'm filled with gratitude that I made a small but meaningful difference. Oh it sounds... HR lady like you would be an incredible job coach Mm, that's so great when you get that sort of you know you feel so undervalued by the people who pay you and then find out that the people who don't think the world of you next up from anonymous pronouns she her I suffer from analysis paralysis, and other than donating to Biden and Harris, I have not donated to any other campaigns, although my spouse and I decided this would be a good use of our stimulus money. I just couldn't figure out a good amount, given the number of campaigns nationally. I finally decided I would donate $36 per campaign in lieu of sponsoring uh, premium subscriptions, and I'm so glad to know that you have already plenty, have already have plenty of sponsors. Oh, yes, donate to the campaigns so far i have contributed to 13 democrat democratic senate campaigns as well as The one House race in my state of Oregon that leans red incumbent Republican Walden is not running again. And the House seat in neighboring Washington state, which is currently held by an awful Republican, (laughs) an awful Republican. Flipping the Senate is so important. So thank you for helping me figure out a dollar amount for so many important races. Finally, keep the West Coast in your thoughts and prayers right now. Yes, we do. We're in the West Coast. The fires aren't a threat in my suburban area, but they are threatening many communities and burning beautiful parts of Oregon all up and down the coast. Smoke is everywhere. Peace. Thank you, anonymous. I am glad that our thirty-six dollar per year premium subscription for patrons gave you an idea of how much money to donate to these campaigns. I've been giving twenty dollars and twenty cents to pretty much every Democratic congressional race, um, you know, so far that we've that we've interviewed for our Flip It Blue segment, and uh, been giving much bigger amounts to this, some of the Senate races, and and of course, to I gave the max to to Joe and Kamala. Um, and so that's sort of where we're at right now. And I did that with a, a tax rebate check I got. The state of California figured my taxes wrong. And for some reason, I got a second stimulus check the full amount. I don't understand how I'm how I'm entitled to this. Um, I mean, I'm not a gozillionaire, but I'd make, you know, combine more than 75. Uh, so, but, you know, because it's based on my old government job, right? I was a GS-14. So... Anyway, um, I think it's just so incredible that you're that you're giving. And remember, everybody, I have a pinned tweet uh, on my personal Twitter page at Allison Gill. And it's got a link in there for beanies for the leguminati to donate specifically um, through our friend John Vane, who's the campaign chair for the Biden campaign. He set that link up just for us so that we can kind of keep track of how we're doing. We're well over six figures, by the way. So, good job there uh, with us and a couple of other um, small communities that we're working with to to get donations. Um, and then, of course, you can always go to volunteer.dccc.org, and you can find out how to write postcards, text bank, phone bank, and where the the DCCC for for Congress needs you to hold the House. And that's what we're doing the Flip It Blue segment for is to support that effort as well. So. Uh, aside from all that, uh, that is the good news. If you have any good su- good news to submit, or you want to submit a quarantine confession or a correction, just head to dailybeanspod.com and select contact. If you want to sign up for a free Um, membership a free premium feed that has been donated by one of our generous patrons you can do that at the same website dailybeanspod.com and just scroll down on the front page and you'll see you know patrons sponsoring patrons and that's where you can either sign up to be to to receive a free one year uh, premium feed membership which gets you the mary trump book club and these episodes early and ad free or you can buy uh, buy a year for someone who can't swing it we're also giving them to you know veterans healthcare workers frontline workers Uh, people in need Um, so you can donate there one year is 36 bucks and you, you give them a premium feed for a year so that's it everybody until tomorrow please everyone take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of the planet and take care of your mental health i've been ag and them's the beans